¿Qué pasa cuando muero? ¿Qué pasa cuando muero? ¿Qué pasa cuando muero? What happens when I die? With me, TW1. I think magic is a good spot to start. Where, like, what was the first magic trick you saw that you were like, oh? So growing up, uh, Copperfield, David Copperfield would have his his ABC or CBS specials, mm-hmm. and I used to record them when I was young. Um, so those were the big ones. Um, and he did one that was 50 Years of Magic, and it went through his big things like, you know, making the Statue of Liberty disappear, making a Jet disappear, yes, making yes. the Orient Express levitate and disappear. Loved that, but then there was a small, maybe five or ten minute segment in the middle where it was set to a seal song and it was nothing but clips of his close-up like his sleight of hand um where he would make two rubber bands penetrate each other or yeah, yeah. a rose a paper rose float and then he'd light it and it would turn into a real rose or you know um pushing a cigarette through a quarter things like that and that's really what i liked um so i started gravitating towards that kind of stuff And my dad took me to a magic shop locally. Mm. My dad was always a jokester as well. I think he was probably buying like a nudie pen that you turn upside down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, wait. Yeah. It's tits. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. And and I just became enamored with that shop. Yeah. And I would buy all those little Adam's pranks like hand buzzers and... And the snapping gum, the snapping gum and the little dollar puller that you, you know, release and it pulls a dollar away. Yeah. Building tricks like that and getting magic kits. Um, so little things like that started it. And first it was like a jokester type thing, but then it got into real magic, uh, real applications of sleight of hand, practicing cards, coins was big. Um, then when David Blaine hit the scene in 98 with street magic, he made those tricks that you could go and buy like invisible deck or a rising card that comes out of the middle of the, the deck into these big spectacular things that got really good reactions and made it okay. Yeah, David Blaine's in like when David Blaine came into this thing cuz I was young, I was maybe 6 when okay. David Blaine hit. Um and like so for me the first magician I ever saw was Rudy Colby. Oh yeah, do his sure. his puppet boy, yeah. uh, his puppet boy routine and uh his uh his three leg yeah. or the yeah, three leg. Yeah, his yes. Yeah. Um and like lifelong love for Magic and Devo from that guy. Yeah. Um and then I remember seeing David Blaine and uh for also for my generation Chris Angel mm-hmm. and seeing that like oh like Magic isn't just like David Copperfield right. it's or not staged. Yeah. Always. It's like it can be spooky. Mm-hmm. It can it can be something that like genuinely uh intrigues and terrifies yeah, rattles people. You. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it does. It breaks that. For I mean, for kids, it was always tough. When you say you're a magician, they're like, oh, hey, can you do this kid's party? You're like, that's not what I really do. Yeah. And there's a difference because, you know, I can make a unicorn appear out of a flower pot and the kid will be like, yeah, that's where they live. 
Yeah. You know, because they don't understand yet. They don't have magic is just breaking rules that we've already accepted. Things can't float. Oh, yes, they can. Yeah. Things can't go from here to there. Watch this. So until you understand the laws of physics, it's not impressive when you break them. Mm. So for an adult, it takes them back to that wonder of, I thought I knew everything that was going on, but yeah, now yeah. I'm questioning. You yeah. know, I'm a kid again, and I don't understand those laws of physics for a moment. Before you know? all of that semantic memory came in. And right, like the understanding. The, yeah. yeah. Um, when it comes to, are you religious at all? Are you spiritual? I'm spiritual, I'm spiritual yeah. but not religious in, in the sense of a of a hierarchy of doctrine and who says that I, you know, there's no gatekeeper yeah. for yeah. me. And religion yeah. seems to be a gatekeeper mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, the religion itself is a conduit for you to experience this. And I don't really subject myself, you know, buy into that subjective reality. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's definitely a spiritualism. Would you, cause like, uh, I was raised Christian and left the church at 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, surprisingly magic led me to um for lack of a better word faith you Mm -hmm. know spirituality whatever term you want to use would you say magic was something that led you to that would you say those two like it was i think they i think they were both there i didn't grow up in a particularly religious household they were religious before i was born really catholic and then they kind of broke away from the church Mm -hmm. um but i was big into my birthday is close to Halloween. Yeah. Um, so for my birthday, I would always get special effects makeup. And that was kind of like a cheap way, I guess, for them to give me my <laughs> Halloween costume for my birthday. It was, yeah. I realize now. But um, so, you know, getting into that, I always love special effects movies and makeup that, you know, they use. So that got me into the occult a little bit because I was studying witches and witchcraft and mm-hmm. Salem and uh, vampires, Bigfoot, things like that. So I was really big into those things back in the day. Um, and that branched, I think, into the occult a little bit easier because in the library, the 798 section is that, yeah, you know, yeah. occult section. So I'm picking up Chariot of the Gods and reading about ancient UFOs. And then I'm reading a Bigfoot story or the ghosts of the area. And then right next to that is a tarot book. And right next to that is speaking to your spirit mediums and yeah. things like that. So yeah. it kind of just, you know, explored that whole bookshelf, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I, for, so for me when it came to uh leaving the church and like because i left the church and like really dove into magic uh at the same time i was like 19 20 years old um and through that got into skepticism but skepticism never felt right Mm -hmm. for me i was like no i like i i liked the the metaphysics of the church like you said i didn't like the structure or the gatekeeping Mm -hmm. Uh, and through there is how I found, uh, like, I'm, I was thoroughly surprised to find so many mentalists also, like, lean into spirituality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, James Randi had, used to have that million dollar uh, challenge where if you can just guess what's in this envelope, yeah. I'll give you a million dollars. Nobody ever could because now James Randi was a magician uh, who did a lot of mentalism. And for those that don't know, mental, mentalism is a, um, it's a way of... Well, you can play it multiple different ways. Mm-hmm. You can play it as you're actually clairvoyant or have ESP powers or you're a body language expert and you can read nuances of people. But it's divining or incepting information into your your participant or your audience. So you're either reading their minds or you're 
guessing what's going to happen and foretell it, you know, something like that. So James yeah. Randi used to do that. Um, and in his travels learning those tricks, he realized that most of the people that were actually claiming these things in real life, whether they be crystal ball readers or... Um, uh, astrology chart mappers. Astrology chart mappers, yeah. palm readers, were just relying on these magician and carnival secrets, yeah. carnival tricks to basically, you know, get this fake awareness. Um, so he challenged people and said, hey, I'm looking for the real thing. Yeah. Um, and, he, you know, he said he never found it before he died. But he definitely, you know, just like Houdini, he always wanted to speak to his mom. So he challenged, yeah. you know, the, the the occult as well, saying, if it's real, then show yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think with somebody who, because, I mean, like you were saying, reading that book section, uh, when you... If you demand high strangeness to show itself, it's like nah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like if you if you if you're, it's like trying to find a perfect partner when you're looking, it never happens. Yeah, but no, as soon no. as yeah, as soon as you get into a relationship with the wrong one, somebody else pops up, or like you know what I mean. Like there's when you let your guard down and be natural, that's when things are attracted to you. When you're searching for it too hard, you're seeing everything but it. Yeah, yeah. and like that's what happened with me. I ended up diving into chaos magic for like almost a decade. Oh, yeah. Because uh, chaos magic was just like no 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 it's the symbolism that's important. Right. Who cares about any of the other shit? Yeah. Just like if to you it's very subjective, yeah. which I enjoy. It's yeah. like if to you it makes sense and there's some sort of meaning, that's all that matters. Yes. And I was like, oh hell yeah, yeah that's interesting. Uh, how has magic affected your? Because, I mean, like we were saying, there's magicians who, and especially within, like, the mentalism field, uh, for people listening, a lot of people don't know the history of magic and how, like, psychics and magicians used to be, like, in the same club. Oh, yeah. And then around the, like, boom of the Industrial Revolution is when, like, that gang war started. Mm-hmm. Um, do you pull any, like, I don't know how to word this question. Um, does magic affect your um, perception of, like, the spiritual or of, like... um... If anything, it gives me pause before I accept something strictly based on its viewing. Mm -hmm. So, with religion specifically... Um, I know because magic is a deception. Magic is you're purposely telling them I'm going to deceive you and then you do. So it's the most honest art. Yeah. It's easy to, so first of all, when you learn magic, it's like learning Santa Claus isn't real. You can never go back. The The curtain's been pulled. Um, you can appreciate it for the art that it is. You can yeah. see what's good about it. You can see what could be better about it. But you're never really fooled anymore because you pretty much know a lot of the ways that things are achieved. And in learning that level of deception, it makes it easier to understand when you're being deceived outside of the magical vein. So different religious philosophies or um, approaches can easily be seen through and be like, okay, I can see the manipulation here. I can see yeah. I can see who the mark is supposed to be. I'm not going to be the mark, but I can see what the con is. Yeah. Um, and if anything, that helped me sift out and filter out certain thoughts and certain, like I said, certain groups or what have you 
um, and be like, okay, well, I'm not buying into this completely that way because I see the con. I see who's benefiting. I see where the dollar is. I see where the fame is. I see where where you're, you know, what you're doing this for. Um, and then I started looking for things that didn't objectify that and personify that. So, it, yeah, it helped with the focus of finding something more spiritualistically positive um, and weeding out the ones that were more predatory and like, yeah, know, I, I remember uh, when I left the church for some reason, my grandfather was like, hey, just try coming to church with me when I was diving into magic and all of that. And I started to notice um, how many like hypnotic induction mm-hmm. triggers yeah. are built into into church. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like one of two things is either like God is mysterious in this way and purposefully structured this stuff to help like leap, bring you into that headspace or I'm being duped. And I think it's the second one because the collection plate is coming out right. as right all of these triggers are starting to right, go absolutely. into effect and there's a lot of framing there's a lot of anchoring which are all hypnotic terms mm-hmm. um, where they reframe your reality for that moment but it's just like when you see a movie you, sub- you subject yourself suspend your illusion of disbelief and you immerse yourself the only difference is that in that movie you're not um getting fed a message for you to take away afterwards like you watch the matrix you don't think now we're all machines we're all batteries for a machine whereas your hour and again i'm not crapping on religion in general a lot of them have good messages and a lot of them are great communities and they build up good communities and they're not all predatory and things like that but some of them definitely are and the ones that are do use that kind of induction technique where they frame you at that moment and then they anchor you so that you feel and elicit a response designed for you to take away an either mission for other, you know, for other participants to join or to feed their mentality. And you yeah, know, their, yeah. Their you're feeding message. the beast one way you're doing it yourself right. or bringing in right. others to feed it. Yeah. And again, that's not all of them, but there's quite a few yeah. of them out there. Yeah. No, there's, you know, my father is a pastor and he's a... um a universalist Christian. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah, there's no hell. And like the entire purpose of like Christ dying is for us to do these, like for lack of a better phrase, like anarchist direct action going out and taking care of these Mm -hmm. people. And then you have, um, you have other organizations that like lean into the faith healing or lean into all of, all of that. Uh, not being or being more spiritual how does that affect your perception of like the afterlife like when you lose someone what kind of I mean so you know I I definitely have I've worked on mediumship myself I've I've spoken to a lot of mediums um, and a lot of them definitely believe that um, your energy and personality can be translated after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I I adopt some of those beliefs. I think more faith based in that in that point because I would like it to be that. Yeah. Again, all I know is that I don't know. Very Descartes way of looking at things. But mm-hmm. um, if I'm going to throw a faith on something, I have faith that this isn't it. Um, but I do know that the energy. You know, again, that whole, you know, cannot be created or destroyed. It just keeps going. 
So uh, I don't know. I I definitely think that everything exists all at the same time circularly. So we are now who we are now as well as who we will be and who we were forever. Yeah. And how that personifies to our physical world right now, um, this is the choice. You know, this is what our lens can see. This is what we can view. That doesn't mean that's all that it is. And that doesn't mean that uh, it's all that's going on. Um, But um, it definitely gave me a, a point of view that it's ongoing somehow. Yeah. I don't have a, a scientific answer for it. It's just yeah. a feeling. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. One of my favorite comic book writers, Grant Morrison mm-hmm. talks about that a lot using like the terminology of like a time worm. Yeah. That like it's, there is, there is this like fourth or fifth dimensional thing that Absolutely. is existing. Wow. We're only perceiving that very small right. slice of it. Yeah. And I, I, I want to say I'm in the same camp. I hope that's what it is. I hope yeah, that. it would be nice. Yeah. I mean, if it is cool, like there's that old quote, like if I was asked if there was a heaven, I hope that it's a pie heaven because if I'm wrong, oh, well, but if I'm right, mm, pie. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's not, if, if I'm, if I'm wrong, it literally doesn't matter because I'm not going to be conscious of it. And if yeah. I'm right, then it's the best case. Yeah. I have like the whole kind of catalyst for this podcast is the fear of like what if i am wrong and like what if judeo-christian thing is real getting that seed of hell out Mm -hmm. is like man well i mean so i've have have you ever had a a moment when you're sleeping and you wake up you look at the clock it's 202 you fall back to sleep you dream for five six hours it's a really long dream really intensive you wake back up and you look at the clock and it's 208 yeah and only seven minutes have passed or five minutes have passed and it but it felt like a lifetime i'm a firm believer that you know when our consciousness gets snuffed out if it does at the end of our life cycle all those chemicals in our brain might flush into our system into our brain and that waking dream that we're having in the last moments of our life could very well be a lifetime's worth of existence to us. However, it's only moments. It's literally seconds as, as our chemicals are dopamine and oxytocin are being flooded into our brains as a response mechanism. And that could be the hell based on the choices that you've made, how you've, what you've put into your body, what you've given with your body, um, your memories, mm-hmm. the hell could be living that moment in a really uncomfortable way yeah. with regret and anger and sadness, or the heaven could be, you know, a fulfillment of what you accomplished in that life. Now, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't think anybody that, does. Nobody does, but that could be, you know, hell could be a personal thing of what you're left with as you're dying. Yeah. You know? I remember one time my father just being the my my father's a big provocateur within like the Christian uh, the Christian space because I mean already not believing in hell mm-hmm. is a big thing but I remember I was having a panic attack about hell and I was like you know like what if I die and I go to hell and like I have all of these earthly memories and all that and he goes well 
I mean, there's always the possibility that your consciousness just stays in your body and you're stuck in that box for the rest of Yeah, existence. that would be hell. And I was like, oh. Yeah, that's worse. Why would you tell me that in yeah. this moment? <laughs> I mean, looking at looking at the the history of religion, of organized religion, mm. the control aspect of it, of a people, um, even down to the fact that they, you know, unless you were um, – in the church you couldn't learn to read or write and then what was written and what was read was very controlled control was a big part of it so it makes sense that a punishment such as hell would be created to divert people from acting upon certain urges or certain things that they wouldn't be able to control yeah so i see it more of a, a punishment philosophy created yeah. by people that wanted to control yeah than anything realistic that was the big thing that got me out of it i remember one time at church i was performing uh, a car trick and i was talking about hypnosis and i had a uh uh one of the people from the college ministry come up to me and they're like um you can't do that stuff at here anymore because only god should be allowed to control our minds Right, that statement right there shows a level of conviction that's so <clears throat> impersonal. Yeah. And it shrugs so much response, it takes so much responsibility off the individual, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that it's almost negligent. Yeah. Because you're handing over the keys to a thought, to a yeah. person, to something else completely. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, the messages that they're sending out in these religions are usually pretty positive. Yeah. But hidden in that is a lot of bigotry, a lot of uh, segregation, a lot of judgment subtly. Yeah. Um, so you got to be careful who you hand those keys to. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of dogma that mm-hmm. comes with this stuff i don't know if you've ever read uh the principia discordia no huh. um so discordianism is like a religion not a religion that uh instead of having dogmas in their religion they have something called katmas which are more like softer kind That's of cute. like yeah uh they worship the greek goddess eris mm-hmm. um and their big thing is like everything is true unless it doesn't need to be true in the moment then it's not it's a wonderful uh it's it was written in like the 50s or 60s like as like the lsd scene was hitting and all of this stuff so it's got that very kind of tongue-in-cheek uh anti-gospel kind of kind of thing but um it's still like fervent to this day uh Church of the Subgenius is like oh, an yeah, offshoot yeah. Yeah, of, absolutely. of Discordianism. Yeah. Cheers to Dobbs, man. Nobody, yeah. nobody remembers Dobbs anymore. I have a, I have, I, I absorbed the slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a copy of the, uh, the book of the Subgenius. Oh, nice. That my brother. Yeah, I got a few of the, a few of the graphic novel. Oh, that's ones. rad. Yeah. Have you seen? Uh, just because I love Church of the Subgenius, and then because of that Devo. Yeah. Uh, have you seen Info Channel? No. Uh, one of the members of Devo, I don't remember which one, went and started this online. Like, uh, he created the perfect television network, uh, and it's just this 
super surrealist like high concept oh very cool uh like when you go to a hotel and yeah. they have that information yeah. channel it's just that for six hours on oh wow of just the most batshit oh, insane cool. stuff very you've cool. ever seen. I would seen. totally dig that. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I think we need another movement like that. Another. Yeah, I think it, I think there's a resurgence because of all of the censorship and cancel culture that's coming out. I think a new punk revolution's about to breed, uh, where the rejection of cancel culture and censorship is going to show its head again, which is a lot of what punk culture came out. And with punk culture, there was the Gonzo movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, drugs at the time were kind of just spiking back in that time. Um, we weren't really, ex you know, we were experimenting with a lot of new things, electrocolate acid tests and all these things were coming out. But now that we've grasps, grasped the, um, the strength of certain drugs and we understand them more, I think it's going to also flee, uh, like flood the movement. Um, but I definitely think some kind of punk revolution, that doesn't necessarily mean punk music, yeah. even though that might be part of it, but just a rejection of like a counterculture yeah. is going to pop out because being put in these boxes and being raised in these boxes isn't going to feel right for all of the millennials and younger that are automatically being thrust into it. So I'm excited to see where it goes. And I think it it might be ugly a little bit. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, after certain political parties and stuff like that, it's been okay to hate your neighbor. It's been okay to, you know, divide a certain way. But uh, so there might be, they might just lean directly towards hate. But yeah. there will be a, an artistic culture, I think, that's going to breed from it as well, where it's going to be like, no, we're, we're taking the chains off for a little bit. And we're going to, you know, go no holds barred. Yeah, I th I think so too. Because like with the, the history of... Um like satanic panics there's always like like every 11 to 15 years is a satanic panic in right. some sense and then an immediate reaction of counterculture right and that's that. based a lot on the trust of the media at the time because you know during satanic panic that's we really trusted the media they said you know there's going to be razor blades in our apples mm -hmm. or, uh, trick or treat we trusted all that stuff now with the disillusionment of media I th mainstream media such as news sources and things like that I think people will gravitate more towards um, finding out for themselves instead of buying a big brother kind of message from yeah you know so that panic I think might go away I think they'll die out the people that were still you know buying into that kind of media um, but the doubt will be placed in other places and I just see a rejection of that by new yeah. groups. I don't know if they're existing now. They might be already, but they might be in art school right now, failing out and getting ready to start <laughs> the new thing. But hopefully. Yeah, I think we're going to see the predecessor uh, to whatever of like, because you have like a, we just had that weird like witchy movement mm -hmm. for the last couple of right. years. Yeah, you go to Barnes and Nobles and you see 30 different tarot decks now. Yeah. And uh, books on divination and spirit divining and all kinds of stuff which is really ta was really taboo mm -hmm. for a while it, i mean certain places couldn't har carry harry potter yeah for a while because they were protesting that and now they have a tarot section yeah it's kind of cool yeah i think it's i think it's super rad especially because like i'm gonna be 30 so mm -hmm. i don't know what the age difference between us is uh, 12 years 12 years so i'm sure you saw that first boom oh, yeah. of harry potter uh, and then I saw the second boom when the yep. films came out. It was a similar but different mm -hmm. 
kind of attitude. And yeah, now that you have like, you can buy tarot cards, you can buy Nordic runes. Oh yeah. Um, they have a collection of like different satanic and Lucif- Luciferian oh, yeah. works. Yeah, you couldn't find Barnes Crowley and, and stuff like that yeah. in a bookstore before, or you know, Anton or any of that stuff back in the day. Uh, it would just be banned. Yeah. But yeah, everything's out there now. So I'm excited because I think that that boom is coming. I'm excited to see how it plays out in art. You're seeing it in some music with like uh, sure hyper pop yep. and like. Um, mumble rap is kind of like a very punk rock attitude towards traditional hip-hop but uh i want to see like the big art movements part of me is worried that because of the internet things are so um subcultures are so like uh uh micro condensed right and we're not getting a lot of the times we're not getting a view of our opposing opinions we're just Mm -hmm. getting fed support of our opinions yeah you know the algorithms are keeping us safe with our own opinions so i'm only seeing things suggested to me that fit my narrative already i'm not getting exposed Mm -hmm. to too much that's different and i think that that that's the real control right now is looking outside the box to see what else is out there not just trusting the sources that are being put in front of you um but they're definitely out there but it'll be interesting to see because they are also segregated you know that you have to look for them yeah you know yeah because it it's it's always me and uh my writing partner and best friend always talk about like the counterculture because we've been waiting for you know the next big thing you get little pops of it but we we're genuinely afraid that whatever you want to call like the big you know the man Mm -hmm. or uh big brother the machine whatever you want to call it like it's scary to think that they may have uh, algorithmed their way into creating, like, essentially, like, to bring it back to the Matrix, you know, these are the, this is, the internet is the Matrix, and, like, each person Yeah, we're just subsex. Subsex, and, like, you're allowed to exist within this. Right, but like, there's definitely a border yeah, that you can't cross. Yeah, and that, like... Uh, there's that theory of the matrix that like everything that happened to Neo is part of the matrix right. and it's designed to allow this one person to yeah. do this stuff and bring it all back in. And it's like, Oh, that's kind of terrifying to think that like, right. The counterculture is built into the overall culture. itself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that is a, I think that's a legitimate fear. If it's a fear, I think it's legitimate Yeah, because it, it we're already sectored. Um, you know, nowadays people, they used to post this meme where it was a bunch of kids sitting around on their phones and they're like, look at this. Isn't this a detriment to society? But if you look 60 years ago on the subway, everybody was reading newspapers. The only difference is that newspaper was all made by the same guy, the same corporation. William Randolph first made this newspaper. Everybody read it. Everybody bought the same information. These kids on their cell phones, yeah, they might not be interacting with you. They're interacting with someone they're choosing to interact with. Mm -hmm. So they're making a conscious choice to interact with somebody else, whether it be their own media or a person online. Okay. They're not smiling at you as a neighbor, but they're, they're interacting with other people that share their same thoughts, thousands of miles away, hundreds of miles away, whatever. Um, So they're actually more connected now than they were then because we have more to pull from, not just one media source. But the scary thing is, is like you said, they're all segregated in a way 
and can be demonized so easily by the others uh, with just a, a few prompts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely microcosms now that are splitting. Yeah. I So we're going to take a hard uh, a hard left just because right. you're – we have that age difference um have you ever like almost died before any near-death experiences so when i was 17 uh my friend and i built a pipe bomb um (laughs) yeah and uh my dad was an electrician so i knew a lot about electronics and electric circuitry things like that he was a year ahead of me and he was out of high school already um and he wanted to be an fbi agent so yeah. he was taking a criminal justice course that are learning about homeland terrorism. And uh, he's like, he called me up. He's like, hey, I want to build a pipe bomb. And I knew if I didn't help this kid, uh, he would be a splatter on the sidewalk. Yeah. So um, at the magic shop that I, that I frequented and mentioned earlier, they sold squibs, which in the movies, when you get shot, a small little, looks like an LED uh, like an LED light just attached to some wires, explodes. They usually mm-hmm. have a blood pack over top of that. That's what looks like a gunshot. But it's basically a blasting cap. Mm-hmm. So I went over to his house. I said, all right, well, what are we working with here? And he brought out a 10-inch galvanized steel pipe, round enough that you could drop a tennis ball through it without touching its sides. Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, this is pretty hefty. I was thinking maybe something a little smaller, but it was pretty big. Yeah. And then he brought out triple F burning black powder that was used for muzzle loaders yeah. in Civil War reenactments. Jesus. So the more Fs means the more smoke it creates. Well, anybody that knows chemistry knows the more smoke is because of the fast burn rate. So it's going to combust fast because it's going to exude a lot of smoke. So it's going to build up pressure fast. So I was like, all right, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it safe, right? We're going to do it in a controlled environment. We line the inside of it with a condom so the static electricity wouldn't hit the steel pipe and make some kind of connection there, drilled through, blah, 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 put the blasting cap in, stuck it in a plastic stack it toolbox and walked it about a quarter of a mile back into his woods. This is in rural Pennsylvania, so there's a lot of woods and some abandoned washers, dryers, an old recliner. Um, It was the Monday after Easter. All his family had gone to Disneyland except for him. And that Easter, I had gotten a new Timex watch, like a digital watch. So my old watch cut off the speaker, hooked up a little 9-volt relay, set the timer, made it so that at 11 o'clock, instead of the speaker going off, it would connect the circuit. That blasting cap would go off that's implanted inside this pipe. The whole thing would blow up, and we'd be able to watch it. Set my little video camera up. We hid behind a wood pile. 11 o'clock comes. Nothing happens. I look at my watch that I'm wearing, and it's like 11.02. Still nothing. I'm like, I'm going to give it a little bit of time. Yeah. 15 minutes later, I decided to go up and look at it. It was set for 11, but it was set for 11 o'clock at night. Uh, so we had 12 hours. Yeah. Do we let it sit there and risk a deer, a child, something else coming up and disturbing it and put them in danger? Or do we just dismantle it and take it apart? Maybe either reframe what we're going to do or fix it. So I told him to go up to the house, get me some scissors. Uh, and in that, I had a conversation with God at the time. And I was like, if you get me out of this, I'll never do anything this stupid again. <laughs> so we got the scissors came back now the stack of toolbox is sitting on top of a recliner buried in the woods and the only thing outside of the toolbox that we have threaded through are two wires that are hanging a digital watch the wires were still connected in that rubber sealant yeah you know how wires run together 
and I cut with the scissors. Now, part of the and I just snipped at the end. I just wanted to hit one. Yeah. Scissors are longer on the top than they are on the bottom. There's that little egg tooth that hangs over. And when I cut the first wire, it nicked the plastic of the second wire and mm. completed the circuit. Oh, man. And I was ground zero. I mean, bent over this thing. A piece of shrapnel about the size of a Dorito went into my forehead, and I still have a hole here Jesus. where it stuck out. Yeah. Cut me in the lip here, blew the scissors out of my hand, and I couldn't feel anything. I thought I left my, lost my hand. Huge cloud of smoke and the sound of a 747 engine going off right in my left ear. I turned to him and in a complete smoky haze just started screaming, I'm dead, I'm dead, and put my hand to my forehead and it was covered in blood. So we rushed back to his house and he's like, I got to call my girlfriend. We got to go to the hospital. I'm like, I think you need to call the authorities on this one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I go in, I'm holding a towel to my forehead. Again, there's a giant, like I said, Dorito-shaped triangle sticking into my skull on my forehead. Um, I laid on the ground, or prop myself up on the cabinets. Next thing, a paramedic walks in. He takes one look at me after I remove the paper towel and the towel gauze, gets on the little walkie-talkie on his shoulder, and within seconds, lifeline helicopter from Penn State University lands in his cul-de-sac. Oh, jeez. Uh, he thinks that they're going to take me to a medical center, which is about four or five miles away in Hershey. Really, they're airlifting me to Baltimore at Johns Hopkins University. Yeah. Oh, my God. He drives to Hershey and uh, says, you know, hey, is my friend checked in here? And they're like, no, they airlifted him to, to Baltimore. By the time he got back, every major news media in the Tri-County area was camped out on his front lawn. They had heard it on the scanner that a kid had just experienced an explosion. Um, I went in. I, now, Second part of the story, it was a Monday. I was in a Shakespeare play at that time called Comedy of Errors, and we were in Tech Week, which is the last week before you open that Friday. Mm -hmm. We are supposed to go live on that Friday. In Comedy of Errors, there's the comedy of errors is there's two butlers that look exactly the same, one for the rich house, one for the poor house, yeah. and they get confused, so people tell secrets to the dumb one, and people sell secrets to the rich one. And the comedy of errors is that they get them confused. So there was a kid named Mark, one of my best friends still, who looks enough like me that we were cast to dress the same and act the same and not be told the difference. And we we're in that play together that was opening that Friday. And this is Monday. So I arrived in Baltimore that Monday night, uh, got tested on Tuesday. Wednesday, I went in for exploratory brain surgery where they cut me from my right ear all the way across the top of my hairline almost to the side of my left ear, folded down my scalp, cut a triangle out of my skull, excavated the debris, put the triangle back in, laser sutured that, had 19 stitches on the inside, 36 staples holding my head together on all the way across to my right ear, and had to sign a waiver stating that there was like a 17 to 25% chance that I would come out of it disabled, or a 30% chance that I won't, or I'm sorry, 17 to 20% chance I would not come out of it at all, or 30% chance that I'd be disabled. Oh my God. Because it, it hit my my right lobe. Yeah. It actually embedded itself into my skull close enough that it actually didn't puncture the cellular lining. It was as close as you could possibly get without puncturing anything into my head. Um, my physics teacher said that there was a million places I could have stood over that chair where I'd have been cut in half or dead. But the one place that I could where the bomb blew up around me in kind of a vacuum and ex expelled around me was exactly where I was standing. Went into the brain surgery on Wednesday, 
got out on Thursday with a cane and performed Friday night for Comedy of Errors with a black eye, a shaved head, a cane, and uh, a whole bunch of trauma. Yeah. Um, the first day back to school, the, my friends called in a bomb threat in my honor, and we're all standing outside <laughs> while the fire trucks arrive and the police, and everybody's just looking at me. I'm like, I didn't do this shit. This isn't me. Yeah. Um, and then I had to go around to schools and talk about the dangers of you know, Making playing with his stuff. Yeah. Yep, was interviewed by the papers. Actually got called by Howard Stern while in the hospital for, because this is before he was on Sirius Radio when he was in New York, for stupid people who th- who live through stupid things. Yeah. It was me and a guy who lost his hat in the subway tracks, went down to get it and got run over by like five cars and just stood up and walked away. Um, and I was on morphine at the time. I was on a morphine drip and I was like, you know, when you create something, there's a piece of you in it. So like when that bomb exploded, like there was part of me that went away, man. Like I was just, my mom's yeah, like, yeah. this is not normal. You know, the state appointed psychiatrist is checking, checking yeah. all my answers. Um, but yeah, it was pretty surreal when you come out of something like that. You're like, well, there's one of two things. Nothing can kill me. I'm invincible or no day is guaranteed. I need to treat every second as if it's yeah. a gift. And it which, was a little, little bit of column A, a little bit of column yeah, B. <laughs> yeah, you came out, yeah. Yeah, and speaking of column, it was a week before Columbine. So if it would have been after, I would have been already deemed a trench coat mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that hadn't happened yet in the U.S. There was no homeland terrorism like that. They, I got a $200 fine for disturbing the peace for making too much noise at 1130 in the morning. Because they're like, you have suffered enough. Like, yeah. don't worry about it. So, and l- literally in every position you could be, be it time-wise or even in physical space, was like the perfect, the perfect spot. Time. If it was going to happen. Yeah. If it had to happen at all, you know, that's that's where you wanted to be. Oh, dude. Yeah. So, yeah. Jesus. I still have uh, in my face, I have the, the newspaper cut out that shows me, you know, that I was like smiling. He's like, can you look a little sadder? <laughs> you know, I'm like, sure. They had my head half shaved with the staples. And it was like the day after I still carry that around. And I still have it on my Facebook, you know, teen, surv- you know, local teen survives pipe bomb, a- pipe bomb accident. And, Man, uh, yeah, it was that's pretty heavy. crazy. Did they let you keep the piece of shrapnel? They did not. Oh, no, nope. that's a shame. No, nope. they yeah. did cut my ring off my finger because my f- hand swelled. That was cutting the, uh, cutting the wires. And yeah. I still have that. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, man. I knew, like, when you talked about using the scissors, because oh, yeah. I do, I make, I like synthesizers and sure. stuff, so. Oh, you know the dangers. Yeah. I did, too. Yeah, when you, I did, too. Yeah. I just didn't see. God was like, okay, I'll get you out of this, but I'll also make sure you don't do it again. Because yeah. the next plan, we had an empty uh, fire extinguisher, one of those really thick, tall, red metal fire extinguishers that we were going to fill up and do something with that. And it would probably would have been much worse. It was all out of curiosity and scientific expo- yeah, exploration. Yeah. No destruction, not trying to destroy anything or harm anyone. Uh, just, oh, what would happen if we did this? Um, and it would have gone worse and gotten yeah. bigger. And, yeah. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I had a little bit of PTSD after that. Uh, um, yeah, I would imagine. Like, I had shotgun shells in my bedroom above me on, on a little shelf because my stepdad used to do, like, skeet shooting and things like that. And I couldn't couldn't sleep with those around i was afraid they were going to explode and there were certain times in my life where i thought that i was still on that gurney and this was that waking dream yeah maybe i was still being operated on and none of this is real uh just moments you know not like a you know any kind of real break from reality yeah just like 
Just a little, like, just a brief little, dissociation pockets. When, when things get too weird, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I've had certain coincidences in life happen where I'm like, come on, that yeah. that can't be real. Really? Maybe this isn't real, you know? Yeah. But What's yeah. one of those? What are those? So I had lost a sweater. My girlfriend had done our laundry in Philadelphia where we were living, and she took it to the cleaners. And when we got the stuff back, my sweater was gone. And it was a sweater that I wore in a movie called Boulevard of Broken Dreams where I played James Dean. And the premise was if James Dean and Elvis Presley were alive now, modern day, and they meet in Greenwich Village. And I had this black sweater with this very distinct hole that we had cut so that it looked like James Dean's sweater from his famous photo shoots. Yeah. And it had this tag on it and this all these slices and stuff. It was very distinguished. Um, and uh, she had lost it at this place right down the street from our house and then two years later i was in chicago at o'hare airport and there was a guy standing in line in front of me wearing a sweater and i was like this is gonna sound insane but i think that's my sweater and he's like no man i got this sweater at a at a uh at a dry cleaner in philadelphia there's no way this is yours yeah and i was like yeah that was on lombard street he's like how did you know that i'm like because that's my sweater (laughs) and it was, he's like, what? And I was like, do you, he's like, do you want it back? I was like, no. Like, we had nowhere to go with it, but it was bizarre yeah. and strange and just happened. And I'm like, oh, the AI is just loading really slow. Yeah. So it's just injecting things that are already cached. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Man, I love weird, oh, like, yeah. weird stuff like that. Same. Same. Yeah. So... I feel like this is a good time to ask it just because, I mean, fuck, that pipe bomb story is just like, I understand you had PTSD from that, but it's still going to take me a while to be like, to think that somebody was literally that close to death and very, 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 very close. Yeah. Like, I don't think about it often. Yeah. I forget about it quite often, but yeah. What just with, I mean, being as close to that what do you think happens like what's going to happen to me when i die well you already have i think and you've already lived i think you've already died i think you've already been born i think it's already happened i think it's already predetermined not because it's predetermined in a sense of destiny but because it's all the same i think Mm -hmm. that every existence is happening simultaneously now i don't know if that necessarily means every option of existence like every possible existence like you can change it necessarily mm. but i definitely ghosts for instance i think we're just seeing when they're existing i don't think they're haunting us i think we're just seeing a time when they did exist when the criteria is right when the environment's right when yeah. our minds are right when when we can tune into a frequency or whether our eyes are differently or what have you we're able to perceive things that we're not normally able to perceive. So I don't know. I don't think you really go. And I don't think you physically go up and meet a guy with big feet in a cloud that has a, a name on a list with yeah. a gate. And I don't think you go down and get poked in the butt by a guy that looks like Henry Zabrowski, you know, yeah, yeah. with a devil costume on. I don't think that happens. Um, I, I think that you're born again. Uh, exactly as you were born 30 years ago and either this is your life and it just keeps going in this circle or it's different 
I, I don't know, but I, I definitely think it's already been, it's already happened. Yeah. Probably multiple, multiple times over. Um, I don't know if you want to get Buddhist with it and say that yeah. you're trying to change things so that the next time we come around this plane, uh, we have a different opportunity to make different choices. Or if we're just in this cycle of my energy can only do what my energy can do, mm-hmm. can only do what my energy can do, can only do. And I'm living this same cycle over and over and over the same choices, same everything that I don't know, but I do think that it's circular. Yeah. 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 No, I do. I have, I don't know if you saw, I've got my, one of my collections. Oh yeah. Yeah. The yep, absolutely. So it, uh, I've heard this is going to be like episode six or seven of the podcast and the amount of people who I, I think it may be circular because the amount of people who lean into without describing it as circular, I've had, um, some guests describe it as, uh, reincarnation but not necessarily in the same universe Mm -hmm. i've heard it as um you get thrown into um like uh the most recent episode somebody was saying that they believe you get thrown it could be a work of fiction it can be a piece of like um of old history but you're thrown into just another a completely other existence in a way of, of, a, of a similar circular mm-hmm. thought. Yeah. I mean, if everything that can be, can be, mm-hmm. then yeah. I mean, I don't think you're going to change much. I think that your energy and the choices that you make definitely have an imprint. I have this five of spade tattoo on my middle finger from being inducted into the 52. My daughter, Isabel, who's four, has an exact birthmark, the exact same size, same shape, the same discoloration, the same, like they kind of made one part of the spade fatter on one end and it's not exactly symmetric. The same imperfections imprinted on her. Now that's a physical imprint. She's never gotten a tattoo. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was obviously born after this tattoo was given, but something genetically imprinted from me to her to give her this exact trauma because that's what this is, right? A tattoo is skin trauma. Um, to give her that exact piece of trauma. I really hope none of my f- emotional and mental trauma was translated as yeah, well. Yeah. But it might have been. But that said, it makes me think that I'm holding on to it. Like, it's definitely a part of me. So the choices that I'm making, consciously or unconsciously, now until my demise, are all going to be conditioned. And all the choices that I've made already have been conditioned. And I really think that that's going to stick with us. Not only in a genetic sense, but in a spiritual sense as well, um, that you are who you are. Sometimes you feel like an old soul. Sometimes you feel connected with this kind of person or that kind of person. I think that there's a magnetic gravity that kind of holds things together cellularly that becomes more of a vibrational consciousness. So I think that whoever you are, whatever happens afterwards, you're going to be you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that you have been you for all time. Yeah. The only difference is what we're reacting to. So when you say you're still going to be you, is it going to be in like, and I I know I'm using like baby's first philosophy here, but like a, a Theseus' ship kind of like sort of thing where like the, it's the essence? Right. I mean, there's no physical yes or no of what you are. There's no, um, again, when I say we're, uh, uh, me, Chris, right now in 2022, 
is making choices based on the stimulus around me, but I'm the mm-hmm. same exact brain and body of the same of people that have walked 400 years ago. Yeah. But they didn't have to deal with Trump and traffic and gas prices. And those are the things that are manifesting my mentality right now because I'm reacting to my exterior world. Whereas 200 years ago, I was worried about whether this water would kill me or where I was going to get my grain for the year or what have you. And that manifested what my personality and or, you know, what my choices were back then. It's just how I'm reacting to things right now that is deeming who I am. But really, my underlying personality, your underlying personality is more of a core soul or concept that we carry around. Um, It's just what we choose to show people or what we get the opportunity to show people is based on the surroundings around us that we have to, you know, exist with it. Yeah. You know, what our catalysts are. So I think that there's an underlying ego, id, soul, whatever you want to call it, that's undying, but it may look different. Yeah. Um, and you might be born into a male body a female body a this body a nobody yeah <laughs> like yeah um and by the time you know history goes it might not even be a body anymore it might just yeah. be a cell size battery you know yeah but yeah i think there's an underlying theme that we hold on to yeah that's really interesting i like that it's a really good marriage of like uh materialism and metaphysics right of like it's you know it's the both and mm-hmm. of of the spirit and then also all right. of the chemical reaction and, which is and why you got to be careful with what you do expose yourself to i mean sure there's a there's one count of i want to try everything you know timothy leary said he used to do every single legal drug at least once a year he would try to do that once a year there's a but you know everything in moderation you know yeah. because if we are building up our personality and we're adding and subtracting with certain thoughts whether they be hateful thoughts mean thoughts angry thoughts or loving thoughts kind thoughts happy thoughts depending on what you feed the brain what you feed your psyche is going to carry on i think and is going to you're either it's a muscle and you're either going to build a good muscle and a healthy muscle or you're going to build a bad muscle yeah you know so delve into everything you want to but be smart with how far you follow certain things but definitely you know i i don't begrudge or t- tell anybody to not think about anything or to not investigate things but know your limits because some things are intoxicants that can detract and build that health yeah. unhealthy muscle yeah you know? yeah because i mean even like even if we take a more like quote-unquote positive light or uh perception with it if you're like physically working out right and you you can strain yourself, you can mm-hmm. extend yourself too far, even by doing, even if you think you're doing things perfectly right, there's right. still yeah. the possibility. Well, we mentioned magic earlier. I mean, magic and magic with a K, there's great benefits that you can get. There's a lot of insight. There's a lot of foresight, forethought, a lot of really introspective um, theologies out there that you can exist in. But then down the line somewhere, sometimes it gets a little dangerous. Yeah. Same thing with organized religion. You can go to Christmas mass and enjoy the community of your fellowship and things like that. But if you go too far again, it can be dangerous. And next yeah. thing you know, you're in a Davidian somewhere. Yeah. Like, so it's it's that moderation and being smart enough to understand what, you, what your soul can tolerate, how strong your will is, and uh, how susceptible you are 
to those kind of influences. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can only find out how susceptible you are by involving yourself in the machine. Yeah. In that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is it is dangerous. I mean, yeah. with with anything you you know, you're interested in tarot cards. Next thing, L. Ron Hubbard's asking you to do the Moonchild ritual. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you're really <laughs> delving into some Crowley stuff. You know what I yeah. mean? You're going to some old castles with Led Zeppelin, and you're killing people. And, yeah. 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 It's dangerous. That is a. I think that is a fantastic note to end on. Uh, before we go. Uh, there's a Buddhist prayer I really like. Oh, I right on. All of my guests recite it, which is uh, aging is normal for me. Illness is normal for me. Death is normal for me. So if you can sign us off with that. Aging is normal for me. Illness is normal for me. And death is normal for me. Awesome, Chris Dixon. Thank you for dropping by, Dude, bud. thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, this was no, amazing. I love this. Great conversation. Thank you. Hell yeah, man.